the Together for Change series. I'm your host, Marvin O'Kelly. Following the untimely death of George Floyd in 2020, I've taken on the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion officer for the Halifax Wanderers, recently adding accessibility with the addition of our most recent committee member. As of 2021, we started the podcast as a means of continuing the conversation in a safe space. It's almost two years now since George Floyd's death, and I can confidently say that we as a club have embodied our mission, which is to bring our community together through sport. My aim is that by having these tough and sometimes awkward conversations, we can begin to break down barriers and strengthen a culture of diversity and inclusion. We would like to acknowledge that the land on which the Wanderers Grounds office and training facility is located is the unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Today is International Women's Day, and I'm pleased to introduce Mallory McDonald from Wanderers local club partner, Halifax County. Mallory is the second female guest on the podcast who has the distinction of being the first in her role in Nova Scotia. We had Kenzie Lalonde on the show, who was the first female to announce a game in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And Kenzie has continued to soar by going to the Olympics recently, where she is currently representing Nova Scotia and Canada as a journalist. Mallory is the first ever female director of football in Nova Scotia. Yes, you heard that right. Football, not soccer, as it's commonly referred to in North America. Mallory, welcome and congratulations on breaking down barriers and laying a foundation for other girls and women to follow. And we hope you will not be the last as we are definitely seeing the tides of change coming in lately. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Marvin, and thank you to the Wanderers for having me, and also Nova Scotia, because it is amazing to be back home in my technically home region. I'm from PEI, so uh, it's great to be back. Awesome, and of course, it's it's ironic you say that as you're sitting in Toronto recording. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is true, this is true, but I, I, I am now a visitor in Toronto. This uh, is no longer my home. <laughs> well, I'm jealous you're getting to watch the TFC home opener as we count down 56 days till our home opener here in Halifax on April 30th. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll be treated to a good game over there at TFC. Yeah, and I'm just excited to be able to get back to Nova Scotia and see the Wanderers play as well. I hope the energy is going to be the, the exact same at BMO Field for sure. Definitely. And actually, that we're, we're lucky that we have a couple of season ticket holders, um, actually a total of four, who are both TFC season ticket holders and Wanderers mm-hmm. uh, ticket holders. Uh, shout out to Greg and Charlotte Oikel, especially, who travel back and forth. And I actually asked them this question. I was like, which atmosphere do you enjoy more? And they, without hesitation, said that Halifax Wanderers is way better atmosphere. It's way louder. It's way more um, just the fan engagement and the the connection between the the players and and the fans is is better in Halifax. So I think that's. I, well, I don't I don't doubt that actually, and I, I'll be another plus one on the season ticket holder of TFC going to the Wanderers as well. So I'll travel a little bit back and forth, but with that said, I, my commitment will be in Halifax. So you'll see a lot of me. Awesome, awesome. So you know, let's let's talk about first. You know, how does it feel to be the first female director of soccer in Nova Scotia? Oh, goodness. Um, I guess the first thing that I do have to say is, and to kind of acknowledge is, first of all, I'm very proud to be considered the first uh, female director of soccer or executive director that is in Nova Scotia, which is super, super exciting. Um, I do have to acknowledge, though, there has been a lot of female leaders that have done a very similar job to mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, they actually haven't had the title. Uh, So when everyone kind of had told me, you're the first female executive director, you're the first director of soccer in Nova Scotia. I was like, I was very surprised. So 
I, first of all, I was a little bit shocked mm -hmm. uh, and I was I kind agree. of like, hmm, that's interesting. So looking into it, I may have, be the first to have the title. However, there has been a lot of great females that have done a phenomenal job in Nova Scotia mm -hmm. and uh, has been part of the growth of the female game as well as just the game in general. 100%. I, I completely <laughs> yeah. agree. And I'm, I'm actually privy to some of those, some of those females you're talking about, you know, when, when I first moved to Nova Scotia from Sackville, um, I was with Scotia Olympics. And one of the first coaches I had was Cindy Tai. Um, and yeah. you know, Cindy Tai is internationally renowned and, and she's, she's done a lot for the game for playing for team Canada um, as at Dal with the women's team there. And Cindy Tai has a huge influence on, on my soccer um, career and my, and my, and my growth. Um, I've talked about it on podcast with um, Chris Searle um, recently, but she was the one who taught me to be two footed. Um, as somebody who, you know, favored one, one foot a bit more like a lot of players do, she taught me to be two-footed and make sure that I was keeping defenders on their toes. And, and she taught me to, you know, train with, with the older age group so that I could continue to develop my game. I trained with the under 18 girls when I was under 14 boys just to get extra touches. So she is somebody I really want to give um, a special shout out, even though she didn't have the title, she, she definitely did the work, like you just said. Yeah, and that's the thing. And there's so many females in what would be considered administrative, like technical lead roles as well, that haven't necessarily got the recognition. With that said, I'm very, uh, it's not necessarily very lucky, um, but I'm very proud to be seen as the first female executive director. And I hope that I can continue to kind of break down the barriers and to bring awareness to this type of thing with that kind of uh, title or position. Definitely, definitely. And the word representation comes to mind a lot. It's, it's one that's been said a lot, especially in the last couple of years that, um, you know, it's, it's important to note that representation means seeing somebody in a role that you aspire to have. So by you now having this director title, you know, it gives girls who are, you know, growing up in the game 10, 11, 12, 13, be able to see, oh, you know, Mallory's a director. I want to be a director when I grow up. And that's why I think it is really important to note that you as the first, um, but hopefully not the last, will are paving a way for more people, more females to be given that title, you know, and, and so congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. So how did you get started in football? Before we get in even into your current role, how did, how did you start? Did you play in Timbits and all that growing up? How did you fall in love with the game? So my story is a very interesting story and kind of my progression uh, through as a player and then into uh, my role currently. So I started when I was, I think, eight, uh, seven or eight. I lived in Belfast, PEI, small, very small community, uh, not a lot of people. And they started kind of a soccer club, football club, got my big uniform, everything along those lines. And we were being broken up into groups and I was born at the first of the year, so I played uh, the age up or what, I, what have you. Yeah. So honestly, I fell in love with the ball. Um, I didn't have a lot of, so at that time, there wasn't a lot of televised female football or different things like that. So I didn't have any direct role models that were necessarily part of the soccer landscape or uh, say that they were playing professionally. So my love for football soccer has been very, organic I suppose would be the word because I just fell in love with the ball I fell in love with the ball and I fell in love with competition mm -hmm. so I was a multi-sport athlete uh did track and field played hockey in the winter 
played ringette whenever I was younger, different things like that. Um, unfortunately, with my family situation, it did not allow me to continue on with the game. And because of, say, opportunity, the opportunities weren't obvious or available. So like, for instance, going down to play in the States or to get sports scholarships in Canada, it wasn't necessarily not a thing. I would assume that it wasn't a thing at the time because I'm a little bit older. However, if they were available, there was a lack of awareness for these uh, financial kind of resources to be able to continue on. So unfortunately, I started to work a little bit younger. So then I had taken a break from the game, like many females do. And uh, I actually returned uh, about 10, 10 years ago, and I had taken an eight-year break. Wow. And it's, it's not an unfamiliar story for sure, because, you know, the financial side of things is one that is heavily publicized, you know, especially um, within the last couple of weeks, um, for anybody who isn't, isn't caught up, you know, the, the women's U.S. national team won, won a huge case against, um, against uh, the Federation, and they're able to get a huge payout um, to try to kind of bridge that gap between the men's game and the women's game in terms of how much they're paid. So it is something that's being recognized, you know, internationally as, as a huge barrier. And as we work towards overall equality, you know, gender equality is one of those that, you know, it's, it's really important that we keep pushing that envelope. And it's, it's a highly debated topic, you know, because there's, there's still, you know, even in my own circles, when I bring up the conversation, there's people who will argue, well, you know, men's games just has more fans, has more ratings, has more viewers. So like, how can you pay women the same um, when they're not producing the same level of, you know, revenue and, and, and fans in the stands, you know, and, and to that, I always reply with, well, how do you get there if you don't start putting the money where your mouth is? Yeah, and I think like overall, and this is something I talk about often, and the same word comes up, it's opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I know probably our conversation will go towards on how to get more kind of girls and women to stay in the game and to continue on to see and to know that this is like to be able to be an executive director, to be able to continue in the game, to continue to grow themselves within the game, I think is it's all about opportunity. So for instance, having a women's pro league, uh, like equality on uh, getting paid, different things like that, like all of these issues come back to giving females a chance, giving them opportunity to be able to prove themselves, whether or not it's a female pro league, whether or not it is uh, this title that I have. Uh, I was given an opportunity and I was given an opportunity to be able to prove myself. And in the past, other uh, industry leaders have given me an opportunity. And I think that's something that is extremely important to give and to not necessarily gatekeep. 100%. I, I, I completely get that. And I, I echo those sentiments because even this platform that we're on right now is, is an opportunity that I was given through the Wanderers. And, you know, I really give a lot of credit to, to Derek and, and, and the club for giving me this opportunity to be able to have these conversations and, you know, elevate people like yourself in, in positions of, of power and giving you know representation to to girls and 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 marginalized communities and and just really opportunity is a great word to capture that so i i really do echo those sentiments and that's really very well said you know and yeah, absolutely 
the reason I asked, you know, how did you get started? Because I was curious, you know, to hear you say that you didn't really have a lot of female role models to look up. And that's, that's what we're trying to change, you know, and even for myself growing up and having my sisters, when I asked them, like, you know, who are your role models? Like, usually it was males that they would end up saying, because that's who they saw on TV, you know, outside of some of the World Cups when, you know, at the time, North America, everyone was praising Mia Hamm for what she was doing with Team Team USA. There was a slow transition between that and like my elementary to like junior high when we started to see Canadian stars like like Kara Lang, um, like Christine Sinclair, and now we're seeing a lot more of them. We tend to have role models that are above us or seemingly above us or kind of unattainable. Mm-hmm. For me as an athlete, whenever I was young, and this is something kind of a story that I tend to share quite often. It's not necessarily in the opportunity type of realm, but just the role models that I had as a child. And as I mentioned, like my family situation financially wasn't the best. So I needed the game to be able to uh, be a distraction and to teach me the life skills that I needed to continue to be as successful as I am. Mm -hmm. But it was actually female coaches in my life and I realized how important it was and how odd it was when I moved to Ontario. So I moved to Toronto and I started having conversations with other female athletes. So I had played kind of competitive soccer in Toronto. What was repeated over and over again was that they never had a female coach and that they didn't have a female role model. So in my younger days, there has been female coaches almost in every sport that I've been in. And it's been something that's made me grow as a person and and it's made me more brave because I've been able to see those female leaders so you know teachers that I've had through like I went to a school that was uh grades one to nine and I had a female gym teacher called Gloria Whalen she basically gave the consistency and the encouragement and she has been someone that I've remembered throughout time um, as well as any of the other female coaches that I've had, uh, Sarah Jane Bell coached, I think she was our ringette coach for a little bit, uh, soccer coach, track and field uh, for Liz, I forget her last name. But with that said, I've always had female role models and female coaches, which I didn't realize how special that was until I actually came to Ontario. No, for sure. It's, it's, it's huge. That's why, you know, I really started off with representation. Like it's, it's one of those things that the more you talk about equality, it's, it's, it's a really big theme, you know, and it's important for you to give a shout out to those coaches and to make that point that we, we do almost idolize the people we see on TV and we forget that there's idols in our backyards and our, in our high schools and our universities and, those are the people we really need to give more credit to and and really thank for our development because Mia Hamm, as much as it was great to see her on TV scoring goals, she didn't really do anything for, you know, women here in Nova Scotia in our community. Um, it's There's a lot of people within the actual community. That's why I really wanted to give a special shout out to Cindy Ty for what she's done for the game here in Nova Scotia because I know that she's impacted both male and females a lot of them, um, to be able to continue their development and to give them opportunities to be able to grow. So I think that's a great point you just made. And, and I'm sure there's many others that, that, I'm, that I'm forgetting. We just want to give a shout out to all of you here in Nova Scotia, all the women, who, and not just in, in football, but in, in high school gyms and, and other sports and basketball. Thank you for what you do, because it, it doesn't go unnoticed. I and mean, we, we need more of you. 
I did actually have one opportunity to coach a girls team when I was with um, Scotia and, and Sackville. And I remember feeling awkward. I'll be, I'll be honest, like, you know, as, as at the time I was like 17, 18, and, you know, I'm coaching like 12, 13, 14 year old girls. And there's, there's a lot to deal with as, as a male that I wasn't equipped with at that age. You know, there's, there's emotions, there's, there's all sorts of, of growth that girls are going through that I don't understand as a male. So I actually ended up leaving the position to create space. And I recommended that they have a female take over that, that position, because as much as I love the game, there's a whole other element of it that I didn't understand with girls specifically. And only a woman would be able to understand what those girls are going through and provide the resources and, and mentorship that they needed to continue to develop. Um, and I wasn't the one for the job. And I think it's really important that pe more people realize that, um, that representation and that sometimes you're not the right person. You might have all the skills, the footballing skills or the business skills, but Sometimes they need more than that. They need mentorship. They need, they need somebody who they can talk to, who's their friend, who's their, you know, like a guide. And that's, that's something we need more of, you know, so. Yeah, and I agree. I definitely agree to that. I tend to go on kind of a different side of that, that I believe that females do require some type of supportive structure. So it can be created like in a program that offers assistance for you know, mental health or to uh, more social type of things. In my kind of journey and my experiences, I've had really great male coaches that have actually been better female uh, coaches. Like they're better at actually coaching the female athlete. I've also seen female coaches, for instance, with me, I tend to connect more with male athletes uh, than say female athletes. But also another kind of mention with that is just having the right coach for the right group and, and the right group of athletes and players, as well as, um, yeah, just, I mean, it, I, I don't want to say gender doesn't matter, but with that said, it's the right coach with the right group and with the right support system. For and sure. I've actually had the honor, I've had the honor of having really great, like Toronto High Park, their female programming, um, I was a coordinator for their kind of grassroots girl stuff and a lot of those male coaches in that program they are true supporters mm -hmm. they are absolutely true supporters I moved into Brampton SC same thing a lot of the coaches that coach female athletes they wholeheartedly support the female but would you and not to interrupt but would you say yeah, yeah. that it sometimes works better though once you get to a certain age. Like my yeah. point that I was really trying to make is the younger ages, I find it is probably better for, you know, between the like six to like 13 range for girls to have more women coaches. But I think after that, it, uh, to your point, yeah, it doesn't really matter if gender, as long as they understand the role and they're, they're treating them fairly and, and not treating them as any lesser. Um, so like definitely agree with what you're saying. And I just really wanted to, Kind of clarify that I wasn't saying that I wasn't the perfect person just because I was a male, but just me as the person I was as a 17 year old male at that time didn't understand girls and women that so like it was more a me thing than a male thing that I didn't understand. So I think at that age it would have been better for somebody else, whether male or female, who had a better grasp of girls and what they were going through at that age, to your point. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things too, if it's like you're early in your coaching career, you're not as adaptable um, with the way that you coach. So it's really difficult because you have your, sometimes we call it biases, but you call it your experiences from the game that you've had. So when you first get into coaching, you coach the way that you were coached. So as a male athlete, you come into a space with female athletes and you're kind of like, what is going on here? Like, this Very is well not, yeah. it, it's not the same environment that you had continued in. Uh, throughout a coaching career and with experience, you start recognizing not only like the ages and stages of development that are very different just in general, but then you start to recognize the gender differences and uh, the different like psychological differences of females to males yeah. and how you can uh, connect with both. So you're right on the way that like, like, cause there's, we're in a place right now with females in football that visibility and representation is so important. So what I would say is throughout all ages, it's very, very important. Um, but I'll tell you actually a, a kind of an interesting story. I was given a U9 boys team at a club. And I, at that point I was going through my youth license. I had my C license. I was assisting an OPL. And uh, basically what had happened is, is I started to coach and they were like, the kids actually came up to me and said, are you a coach or are you a teacher? And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, as a coach, I'm an educator and, you know, like I, I'm teaching you how to play soccer. So why are you asking that? And they looked at me dead in the face and they said, oh, girls can't be coaches. They can't coach soccer. Get out. Wow. And I was like, wow. Like, wow. That, how old, how old but, was this? You said you nine? U9, like they were basically turning nine that year. Wow. And that like the and that was like such a raw type of like comment because they're so young, so they have no filter. Yeah. And it was like such an honest, outright thing because they actually believed that females were only teachers, yeah. that you know, they can teach grade one and grade two, but they can't coach soccer. Yeah. And that was like such an eye-opening moment. And I was like, wow. And then you know, it's also up to the parent groups to be able to bring attention to, you know, support female coaches as they enter into the male game as well. Definitely. Because, that, that, those yeah. are the kind of situations that I was not ready for. That, that's really kind of what, what I was trying to get at is as a 17 year old male at that time, I would not have been equipped for that conversation. If, 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 if a girl told me that, I would have just been like, what is what is even going on? You know, and that's where your point about experience more than age is because I was really early in my coaching career. But that is that is a tough, tough conversation to have with a child, because like you said, there's there's layers to that, that obviously a lot of that was the way they were raised at home, um, the environment that they grow up in, because as is being very identified a lot is colonialism has a lot to play in that, that mindset. And that's, you know, one of the things we're looking to, you know, change um, through these conversations and through these spaces is that mindset that girls can't do this because that's what I was taught or in history, girls haven't been in these positions or women haven't been and it's everything that's wrong with society and what did can I ask what was your response I just said uh, I was like why do you feel that way and we just kind of talked about it and it was like really kind of like because I was I was first of all a little bit shocked although like you kind of uh you kind of assume that's kind of the way that it, it's looked at and we just had a conversation so I just kind of said like like you know like sometimes there's boys and sometimes there's girls and we all coach and 
It's about, you know, I love soccer as much as you do, or I love football as much as you do. So, you know what, sometimes girls don't coach and sometimes they do. And I just love the game that much that I want to share my knowledge with you and make you into the best soccer players that I possibly can. And hopefully I can do that for you. And it was just, um, we just kind of went through the why do they feel that way? Mm -hmm. uh, what makes them feel that way? Um, how does it make them feel to have a female uh, coach? Mm -hmm. Different things like that. And then again, I just kind of made it lighthearted and was like, I'm just here to share the game with you and to, you know, boys and girls are different, but they're the same and uh, different things like that. I didn't want to, um, I wanted to keep it lighthearted because it, it is one of those things that by representation, it, it automatically kind of comes, like it automatically kind of evolves. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was very, it was a very different conversation. And it goes to the fact that like, you know, female coaches are needed in the male game as well. So I was assisting on an OPDL team that was U13, U14 boys. And, you know, they wouldn't directly say that I was probably one of their first female coaches, but, you know, it, it's, it, it would have been different for them as well, for sure. Definitely. No, that's, that's a great response. And I did talk about this once on um, Down the Pub with, with Anthony Abbott and Chris Searle, but I had a similar experience, but it was more race-based. So like with Sackville, I used to coach with Masut Mert um, on like Sundays, we had this huge group of 50 kids that we'd have in the Sackville High Gym. And I'm, I'm glad they've changed it since, but it used to be this age range between four to 10. And like, that's just way too large of a gap, like, because four-year-olds are running away from the 10-year-olds because they're twice their size. And like, it was just <laughs> a very hectic situation. Um, but again, sometimes that's what you have to do because of, you know, financial restraints and stuff. But I had this one child who was very shy and like was staring at me for like five to 10 minutes. And eventually I just went up to them and I was like, hey, like, is there something on your mind? Like, is there something you want to ask me? And he's like, yeah, if it's okay. And I was like, well, all right, go, go for it. Like, you can ask me anything. And uh, they're like, why are you black? And why am I white? Like, what, like, why, like, why is it like that? Like, Such a profound question. For right? Like, in, in, a soccer, in a football space, right? And I was like, okay like this is a couple of years after you know that experience coaching the girls team and I'd I'd start to mature as, as an individual and I was like all right all right here's an opportunity to you know make an impact in this child's life and get them to understand so I took a step back and was like all right let's not let's really break this down in the simplest terms I can I was like what type of ice cream do you like and she's like I like vanilla I like caramel I like chocolate it's like perfect so I'm like the chocolate ice cream. You're like the vanilla ice cream. Isn't it nice to have both? The option for both is like, yeah, there's some days I like vanilla and there's some days I like chocolate. I was like, well, that's really the world, right? Like I'm, I'm like chocolate ice cream and I have, you know, my family members and people, are, there's a lot of us that are chocolate. There's a lot of people that are vanilla like you. Like when you look around the gym, you see, you know, mostly vanilla, but there's, there's a lot of chocolate. If you go to somewhere else, like if you go to Africa, it's mostly chocolate. But the world is beautiful because of that differences and the variety. So that's why it's nice, not only just in food to have variety, but in the world, it's great to have that variety of people. And it just makes the world more fun, more exciting, and just better. And they're like, okay, and just ran off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's like, it's, 
such like an easy like kind of conversation and if it was years ago it would have been totally different like with Nova Scotia and Halifax now and Canada in general like with immigrant populations that are entering our communities it's it's absolutely amazing and it's super exciting to see how Halifax and Nova Scotia soccer is going to change and evolve and like the influences that those community like Im immigration is going to have on the football landscape it's going to it's really exciting honestly it is you know especially in the year that we've hit a million people in in Nova Scotia and um, one term that's been used a lot, um, especially by, by Derek, when talking about why we've been able to be so successful at the Wanderers, it's, it's this term melting pot, you know, mm -hmm. Halifax especially is a melting pot of just different ethnicities, genders, ideas, and immigration, people coming from all over the world, and it's why I love it, and honestly why I will, I will call Halifax my home for, for the rest of my life, like I might travel places to visit and stuff, um, I, have a, I have a sister who's in Toronto and it's great to visit her. I'm, I'm most likely going to go to the Canada Jamaica game at the end of the month. Um, but I will, I will always come back to Halifax because it is such a unique space. There's so many opportunities for work and development, but there's also this great charm about it that you can walk down Spring Garden Road and you'll see five, six, seven people you know who might live in the downtown core, but they might also live in Sackville. They might live in East Hans. They might live, it's just, it's such a small world and Halifax really captures that. And I love it. Yeah. And I agree. And like, honestly, it's going to be amazing to see. And it's like such a, like, it's a small town feel, but it's like constantly evolving and growing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's absolutely amazing. And too, like, for instance, like with other cities in Ontario that have a higher percentage of an immigrant population. So for instance, I don't know quite the numbers or percentages, but we see the success of, you know, the men's national team right now, where a lot of those players are actually from Brampton. So about, say, when you look at Brampton, say, 10 to 15 to even 20 years ago, that was such a hub for immigration and for diversity. Mm -hmm. And that diversity and sense of belonging and that kind of small town feel, I think, has contributed to these players being successful, both not only in Canada, but in the international game as well. So when we think of Halifax and Nova Scotia and where that is going, we have that small town feel and we have that connection and we have that culture and we have that opportunity with the immigration population coming in. I, I, I believe that we have a really special opportunity to be able to do something wonderful. Definitely. And that, that goes into really well into one of the uh, questions I was going to ask in terms of how can the men's Canada team replicate the success of the women's team and you know seeing even John Herdman um, being a catalyst for that change and you know now being on the men's national team as a head coach I think you just captured it well it's that diversity you know we've, we've seen what it did for the women's game who had obviously a, a lot of diversity from the start you know people like Charmaine Hooper Christine Sinclair and all those um, who have led to the success. Now we're seeing it on the men's side. We're seeing a lot more diversity on the team with the Kyle Lahrens, the Jonathan Davids, Alfonso Davies, the everybody now is starting to recognize that it's actually going to help the game by not being such singular in, in race and in, 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 in ethnicity, you know, because yeah, I think I that's one thing that's really lacked on the men's side is, is diversity. And now we're really seeing that representation across the board. When you look at the, the starting 11, you're like, this is a better representation of Canada now. You know, there's, there's. Yeah. And I would agree. I would definitely agree. 
Um, when it comes down to it too, and not to interrupt, because I, I kind of get excited when we talk about that stuff. But I think also diversity is very important. But another part of it is, is a sense of belonging and connection. Mm -hmm. So for instance, uh, you know, Herdman was clearly on the women's side and different things like that. And I'm not I like I, I've heard about Herman, Herdman and the way that he kind of presents himself and how inspirational and I've heard him I think it was Ontario Soccer Summit in 2019 when he first took over the men's side and he was so he was pretty vulnerable and he was honest but he was mostly inspiring but what I'll say is is I think probably the key to and the key to success overall and I think that we can learn from this in Halifax and the clubs and the Wanderers and everyone else is you have a leader that truly believes in a process and what they do. They surround themselves with people that are able to offset their weaknesses and elevate their strengths, yeah. which then also trickle down to the team and the team believing in that they're part of something like bigger. They're, they're part of something more. And I think that with the change in the men's team, a lot of that has been that. Mm -hmm. And I've, had the honor of meeting and working with a lot of the staff that is contributing to both the male or the female side or is like uh, currently contributing to the success of the team and I actually thoroughly believe that yes football is important and the technical knowledge is important but in reality it's about leading it's about surrounding yourself that have the same beliefs and then inspiring people to be part of something bigger than themselves and I think that is actually a bigger reason why we're seeing the men's national team be so successful because for once in you know a lot of like our kind of uh not lives necessarily i guess it would be lives considering when the last time we qualified for a world cup <laughs> but, but <laughs> I, like well, I, our I'm lives not, yeah our lives but like for the first time like we are capable of becoming a football nation and that is because of a belief a belief in something that's bigger than us and i yeah i think i think that's amazing and with immigration and diversity and everything along those lines like that is key to that belief and uh that sense of connection and belonging preach Mallory, preach and no you, i couldn't have said it better and um <laughs> that's been echoed you know like that sense of belonging is why we're seeing a lot of people who were have the opportunity to represent multiple nations now starting to choose Canada, people who can represent England in Canada, choosing Canada, people who can represent Ghana in Canada, choosing Canada, even though some of their other options are bigger sporting nations, it's that sense of belonging, like you said, that is making people understand that there's a real opportunity here in Canada to feel like we're part of a family, feel like we're part of the change that is happening in society. And that is beautiful to see. And I really give uh, a lot of credit to Herdman, like you said, and not just being a technical coach and that, but actually allowing people to feel like this is, this is your team, this is your country, this is your nation, and this is an opportunity for you to represent Canada and be patriotic in the best way that you possibly can. And that's why I think we see guys like Jonathan David, who are, even though they're playing in France and they have opportunities to represent other countries, they're like, that's great, but I'm going back to Canada because that's where I belong. And that's where I feel like I can do some good. And not only on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. And Alfonso Davies is one guy we, everyone knows is just such a great catalyst for change and such a great role model for kids. Um, you know, as somebody who's also a refugee, you know, I have a lot 
of respect for him. And I hope to have him on the podcast soon to talk about some of the great stuff that he's done because he's really added to that sense of belonging. And for, for me, and I'm sure even younger kids who are, you know, immigrants, he's somebody who they're looking up to like, oh my God, I want to be like him. I want to go play at Bayern Munich, but I still want to play for Canada. Um, I want to, I can leave and be successful, but I still represent my home, you know, and, and really grow with it. So. And I think that's like, and that's key to it. Right. And it's, and we also, these are the players and the people that are going to be giving these opportunities and it's a different. And like I said, I had the honor to, meet a lot of people that are really impacting the game overall on the national level and I will say this they lead with their heart and they leave like a legacy so like I know that's a word that some of them use but I know that it's like do the right thing make it better uh have a legacy so it's like the players are going to be able to do this and they're going to be able to give and again the opportunity word um I was given opportunities by those same people as I'm talking about, like that have impacted the national game. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to recognize that like in the future by giving opportunities and leading with your heart and being part of something is more important than, you know, kind of uh, gatekeeping or protecting or different things like that. But I think a lot of the players that are coming in and choosing Canada as their nation and as kind of their home I think that they they kind of embody that and they will continue with kind of that great work that a lot of um, like coaching staff or technical leaders have. have Definitely. And, and I don't want to give too much, you know, everyone knows the great work that John Herdman does and some of those men. But again, I really want to shift this back to some of the females here, like Cindy Ty, because outside of the technical um, skills that she taught me, like the example I gave where she asked me to train with the U18 girls, even though I was a boy, um, those are the examples of change makers here. And, and Cindy Ty embodied that sense of belonging. Like, yeah, you're on the boys team, but you can train with the girls. There's, there's, there's no difference. Like in terms of you developing your skill, they are skilled girls on that team. There was girls like Sarah McIsaac who were on that team who eventually went on to go play at University of Connecticut. Um, that, that was a really talented group. And she saw the opportunity for me to learn from them. And it didn't always have to be, oh, you're on the under 14 boys team, so go train with the under 16 boys. I think that openness and that willingness to um, try different things really has inspired others in the game uh, to do the same. You know, John Keogh is somebody who she worked with, and I saw him eventually get way more involved in the women's side. And I think Cindy Tai, in a lot of ways, probably had a lot to do with that. I'm not going to say for sure because I don't know, but seeing them work in tandem, I think, I, I think it's safe to say that Cindy did have a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, the reasons why John did what he did. Yeah, and I think too, like on the girls' side currently, we have a really great opportunity as well. So if you're familiar with the national team coaches, they're basically all women. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have Cindy Ty, you have Emma Humphreys, clearly Bev, everybody. Most super rec centers have a female lead. So we are actually like, oh, there is a lot of female coaches, but then there's also the male leaders that are within that as well. So like, for instance, like Mike Iish, you know, you know, Mike that is able to support the female game. He's now with the U20s with Cindy as well. Uh, Joey Lombardi, he's a Super Rex Ontario, but the U20 uh, director as well. Um, I believe that with female leaders, but also uh, male supporters are like super, super important. And when it comes down to it, like female soccer is in a really, really good place with the current leaders 
and having, and it kind of goes back to the same thing as having the right coach at, in the right place at the right time, but also having the, the right supporters. And uh, basically you have to have support because if you're alone in those type of positions, it, it's a very lonely and difficult place to be in. You're, you're so well-spoken, Mallory. I'm so impressed by you, honestly. Um, it's, Thanks. <laughs> it's been refreshing. And I, I get, I really get what you're saying because I, I feel that. And sometimes when I, when I remind people that I have three sisters, I think it can be misconstrued and like, oh, that's why I, uh, you know, value the women's side of things. No, I'm trying to say by reminding people that I have three sisters is I'm a supporter of women. And those three girls that I grew up with, my sisters are a big catalyst for why I want to see change in the world. Not the, oh, I'm doing it because I have three sisters and I wouldn't if I didn't, no. It's more specific and I want to see my sister succeed. I, I saw the struggles that they faced growing up and I'm even more passionate about seeing the change in gender equality because of it. And- Well, it's the right thing to do. It's, it's definitely the right thing to do, right? And, and it's, you're a person that believes that like you, you live with your heart and you know, what is right and it's the right thing to do. Definitely. And, you know, one thing that I think people need to start shifting um, is equality. Like there's a lot of words you can put in front of that. You can put gender equality, race equality, sexual equality, whatever. But at the end of the day, like I'm really passionate about just equality and more people need to remove the adjectives in front and just recognize that all of it is just about equality at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, and that it's interesting because like I kind of have like I don't know I just kind of sometimes have a strange outlook like uh like clearly like we probably struggle with certain inequality just in general but it, it's such like I tend to have more of a frustration with it that it's like why are we still here <laughs> like mm -hmm. why can't why can't we just have you know no ego no gatekeeping and just be in a place that you know we recognize people for who they are and their strengths and their weaknesses and their, you know, their passion and different things like that. Like it's, yeah, it's definitely, it makes me sad that we're and frustrated that we're still in this place that we have to have these conversations. Hmm. Um, but I believe that it's super important that we continue to have them and to attempt to break down those barriers and to bring awareness to the experiences that both of us may have. Definitely. And, I, and I'll, I'll touch on the why we're here, you know, because I've, I've done a lot of reading, I've taken courses and the, the real common first step that everyone in this space will tell you is education, because, you know, once you start to learn the history of why we're here from the colonialism to, you know, I, I really want to learn and teach more people about the side of the oppressor, because like men being the oppressors, you know, white males being the oppressors and, and so long is why we're still here because to your point about, you know, having more men co um, support the female coaches, that's how and why we're still here. You know, we need more people to be selfless and not realize and realize that, yeah, there, you might lose some opportunities by um, giving up what, what benefits you from a financial perspective, from a, um, you know, involvement perspective participation but it's for the right reasons if you can step aside and say you know what we need to see more women in the sport coaching you know if you can step up as a white male and say we need to see more black people we need to see more asian we need to see more people of color and positions and sometimes it will be at a personal loss 
but it'll be greater for the greater good of the community and for the culture. And that is why we're still here is because I summarized there's in life, there's two types of people. There's selfish people and there's unselfish people. We still have way more selfish people than we have unselfish people. And until we really lower that, we're going to continue to be in this space. And that's why it's important to have people like yourself who are unselfish in their pursuit of change. Um, that's how we're going to get there. And I really hope that we fast track that over our lifetime because it's gone on way too long. You know, I know there's a lot to lose, you know, in the short term for white males, for males, for people in power to give up um, opportunities that they feel they've been privileged to have. But until more people recognize the opportunity and the change that will come out of being unselfish and giving up some self gains for the greater good, it's just going to be a cycle. And we'll and never- honestly, Marvin, like those selfless people that you're talking about is the exact reason it's, and again, we'll go back into opportunity, but that's the reason why I'm here. So I tend to call kind of, um, oh, I'm not going to call them oppressors because I don't think that they're intentionally necessarily doing it. Cause I think a lot of people make decisions based on bias and, uh, overall experience. I don't think that there's necessarily like ill will when people are necessarily doing things, but I call them gatekeepers. So they believe that they are guiding you and mentoring you, but they don't really understand how to guide or to mentor you, but also it's an inconvenience. So for instance, because it's so prevalent in society that, and it'll go back to, you know, my U9 boys team that I was given that opportunity to be able to do that. There was a lot of issue. Like there was a lot of issue. Like, Not always easy. No, and, but there was a lot of issues like in an administrative, like management perspective that like sometimes uh, industry leaders don't want to give the opportunity to, you know, coach at a higher level or coach a boys team because of the biases of the community. What happens is, is more complaints are made and different things mm -hmm. like that. So, and I don't want to get too much into that, but basically like throughout my journey and throughout my career, the most growth and everything that I have gotten is from those people that have been selfless, that selfless, that has given me the opportunity to grow as a coach but I've also come in contact with a lot of gatekeepers in the way that they've told me that maybe I'm not ready. Mm. And I was brave and I don't want to get into necessarily the brave conversation, but I've always grown up and this is kind of an East coast female thing as well. <laughs> um, we don't do well when you tell us that we can't do something. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're always brave. We're always resilient. We're always kind of like, well, I'll show you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, thank goodness that I've gotten the opportunities from those people that actually support, but it, it's one of those things that they never gatekeeped. They, they were willing to put in the work to support based on the biases that may, and the troubles that may come from society, but they stood up and said, no, we're giving you the opportunity. You're doing this and I'm going to support you every way that I possibly can. And that has made such a difference in my journey. And if you know, kind of my progression, like in the last say year and a half, most of my progression as a leader has actually happened in a year and a half. And it was because someone gave me an opportunity, they believed in me. And then I also had people around me that continued to believe in me and continued to support me and like unwavering support. And 
that's been something that they are the reason why I'm here. And this is the reason why I'm kind of talking to you, to be completely honest. Oh, amen. Amen. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very privileged in the, in, in the same sense that in the last, you know, two to four years, I've been given opportunities and full support of people in the club, people in the community um, who have been, you know, selfless in a lot of ways and, you know, been willing to have tough conversations um, and be able to be supportive of me through some very tough times. And it's not always easy to do the right thing. It's actually more often than not tough to do the right thing. But like you said, it's, it's, it's those people who are willing to do those selfless acts that will continue to change um, the landscape and the gatekeepers um, of the world who are willing to be um, innovative and, 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 and take the complaints that come with it and, and, and be brave um, that will actually make long lasting change and impacts in the world so that we don't continue in this cycle that we've seen in, in our lifetimes and in our parents' lifetimes and beyond. Um, yeah, and I think like with the wanderers and kind of the community initiatives that you guys do as well, like I think that like this type of podcast that we're doing right now and everything along those lines, it just, I don't know, it, it strives for change. And what I really like about Nova Scotia and for instance, like we were in your office the other day, it, it's the collaboration and community involvement that the wanderers have that I think it's a really great opportunity to just kind of like embody everything that we kind of mentioned, mentioned today. So for instance, like I, like as a club and as a leader in Halifax, um, like I'm really looking forward to the Wanderers being able to bring attention to the game overall, and also to encourage kind of the little females that, you know, they're able to go to a game and that they're able to watch a game. And I think that's super, super important, you know, for, for instance, Rover coming in and hanging out with the players and doing things like that. Um, I think that's super, super important and it brings attention and it's going to increase the amount of uh, players and also like females in the game overall. Definitely. Completely agree. I'm looking forward to working more together. And as I woke up this morning to an email um, from Richard about, you know, some of the stuff County is going to be doing with um, the North American Indigenous Games. Um, you know, I'm really fired up for the opportunities that we have coming up to work together to continue this change that we're seeing. And um, I, without getting too deep into it, what, what are some of your goals um, in that space? And you want to be able to create change through, through your role now as director in, in a county. What are some things um, that you want to do in the, in the short term, long term? Um, overall, I think a lot of it is going to be pretty organic and natural. So like, for instance, as we've kind of mentioned, I'm the first ED, et cetera, et cetera, um, in Nova Scotia. So I mean, with that, that will strive for change as well. So I'm a little bit more global on kind of my initiatives for inclusion and diversity, as well as kind of gender equality and different things like that. So it kind of goes back to um, creating environments for both males and females and putting the coaches in the right place to be able to support uh, the particular needs of the player and the gender and different things like that. So there's that component and part of it. Um, the other side of that is for me is accessibility in the way of financial. So for instance, I can't, I'm not gonna go into, cause this is kind of more of like an operational <clears throat> plan or different things like that to create these opportunities and environments. But as I mentioned with Halifax and the increased uh, immigration and immigrant population, I wholeheartedly believe that accessibility financially is very, very important and different things like that. So 
a couple items that I would like to do is, you know, subsidy programs to be able to assist new Canadians and, uh, you know, those who do not that face financial barriers, because I was that player. And I think that as football evolves and the need for more competition and higher level resources. So like, for instance, we want to play on turf now instead of grass or, you know, gyms or different things like that. So it's becoming that we're getting priced out of a sport that was so easy to get involved in. So soccer has been always something that it's like, you just need a pair of cleats, you know, shin pads, whatever. You pay a couple hundred bucks and you play in the grass. So a lot of initiatives and thoughts that I have is to continue with creating opportunities for players to play at whatever level that they feel that they want to whenever they're ready. So creating a pathway on the technical side that gives options for, you know, maybe your players that are not the top performers, but also making it accessible for players that may face barriers. Definitely. That's a great point, Amalie, because a lot of people, when you say the word accessibility, go to the obvious one, which is the yeah. physical accessibility. Physical. But financial accessibility is really important, especially in, in football. Um, and I got to give, you know, a huge, huge shout out to Angelo, um, who is somebody who helped me with uh, in my, you know, um, soccer journey and football journey when I was going to club nationals and th there's a lot of financial um, stress that at my time with my family my mom and dad you know having four kids and all of them you know excelling in sport and other avenues like I recognized that I was taking a lot of opportunities away from my sisters the further I got in soccer and on the provincial team the candy games team I was taking away resources that were going could have been going towards my sisters and at one point I had to reach out to the community to ask people to help me um, financially to be able to afford to go to club nationals, to be able to go to some of these events. And Angelo is one of those people who just out of the kindness of his heart, just paid, just gave me money and said, you don't need to pay me back. Um, this is just so you can continue the journey that you're on because you deserve this opportunity. And we need more people and programs like that. So it's not just somebody pulling out of their pocket, but there's actual programs that are giving back which is why i'm really excited by some of our opportunities um, through our club partnership that we have with you guys and you know one in our presentation we talked about how we strive to give a hundred thousand dollars back to local soccer um, through the wonders through 50 50 and different opportunities this year because again that is a huge part of accessibility is financial accessibility yeah and sponsorship as well and with the wanders you guys have a very special opportunity to be able to reach those sponsorship partners and being able to I mean like with club football and different things like that like I think sponsorship is super super important and I think that we should look to these companies and to these sponsors to be able to assist because a lot of the complaints in community football is they point at the club and then they point at the regulator and a lot of the time like both are sometimes struggling financially to be able to give those opportunities so we tend to look at sponsorship. We tend to look at the bigger companies that are able to help that. But I believe that it it should a, a child shouldn't have to ask someone for money. Like okay. and you know we should have the systems in place that we're able to use. Say for instance, the Wanderers using their leverage and their platform to be able to get sponsors involved. That we are able to you know have subsidy programs and sponsorship programs for players to be able to travel and different things like that. But I also recognize that a lot of people, people say words, but they don't have a lot of action. So 
I would like to take the opportunity to say like uh, kind of openly and in the public forum that if you have a problem with, you know, kids paying and doing this and doing that, well, let's come together and have a change. Like let's get sponsorships available. Let's get, you know, people on board to make this change because words mean nothing. It's the actions getting it done. <laughs> Definitely. And words mean more when there's action that follows to them because yeah, hundred you know, percent. Um, no, that, that's very well said. And I'm really, like I said, excited for what we're going to continue to do together. There's a lot of change that we have left to make. We've, we've started it. Um, but this is, this is just the beginning of a, of a long journey and a, and a be beautiful partnership. And I can't thank you enough, Mallory, for, for joining us um, on International Women's Day. And um, thank you to all the great female leaders, coaches, admins, presidents, directors out there who were really creating space and creating change in the world. And um, I thank you for literally coming today together from a ways as we work together for change. Thank you, Marvin. Thank you, Marvin.